1: Hi, welcome to nick luck daily ginger sub in for nick today and no surprises in what we start with we shall be coming to royal ascot talking about international connections There's a press morning ongoing at newmarket this morning that is thursday the 9th of june but we do start with news that the executive committee has voted to shelve plans bha's plans to ditch 300 races from the British calendar. Senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, is with me. We shall be hearing from the National Trainers Federation Chief Executive, Paul Johnson. But first of all, Lee, I think it's fair to say when Lydia and Nick were discussing this yesterday or on the podcast, uh, this was one of three outcomes and, and certainly the, the least expected of said outcomes. Lee, if you can, just lay out where we are and how on earth we've got here. Well,
0: Tom, you're absolutely right. Where we are is absolutely not where we thought we would be. As you say, yesterday we had a meeting of the Executive Committee, which is part of British Racing's tripartite governance structure. Uh, It has three voting members at the moment, namely Julie Harrington, BHA Chief Executive, David Armstrong, who is Chief Executive of the Racecourse Association, and Charlie Liverton, who is chief exec of the Racehorse Owners Association, but sits on the executive committee representing the thoroughbred Group, which brings together all racing's participants. So he wears a different hat in that room. In that executive committee meeting uh, yesterday, they were considering the BHA's proposal to take 300 races out of the calendar um, in 2023 as a reflection of concern over ongoing false small field sizes and a lack of competitiveness in races so that have been resisted by groups like um arc the racing company been the biggest critics of the plan There have also been suggestions that the roa was not supportive but against that the jockey club was very much supportive some large indies race were supportive and the ntf and the pga and other participant groups were supportive. So I think we expected at the very least this would be passed on to the BHA board for further deliberation. However, a statement from the exec committee came out last night that said, all parties agree that the competitiveness of British racing is critical and those steps must be taken to ensure the sport delivers a compelling racing product. It was also agreed that the issue should be considered in the context of the racing industry strategy review, which was announced by industry leaders last week, which will take place over the coming months. It was agreed a longer term strategic approach was the most appropriate. The decision of the Executive Committee, therefore, was to not recommend any considerable change to race volume at this time. However, monitoring of both the horse population and field sizes will continue. Whilst further analysis takes place, it will feed into the industry industry strategy and the matter can be revisited later in the year if deemed necessary. There endeth the quote. If, if deemed necessary, if deemed if, necessary,
1: ideally that it that it, it it's bad. But if we're going to do something, it's got to be really bad. It's got
0: to be really really bad, Tom. I mean, ah, oh, well, listen, I I have a multitude of views on this, um, but um, I, well, I, I guess well, listen, it, I,
1: I, you know we're we're going to hear from from, yeah. from the, the the chief executive of the National Traders Federation very shortly. But you, you as a you're a racing journalist, you worked in the sport for a long time, um, you followed this story for a while, you're a racing fan. Look, look I know where you stand, but, but, but yeah. why do you feel so strongly about this? I feel so
0: strongly because it seems to me self-evident that there is a major problem within the sport regarding the competitiveness of all too many races. It is within the sport's control to do something, The obvious immediate solution is to remove some races from the programme, carefully selecting those races so that they are the right races. To not do so would appear to me to be a dereliction of duty. And it seems to me that that is exactly what has happened yesterday.
1: Okay, well, the National Trainers' Federation released a statement this morning. I have uh, Paul Johnson, the Chief Executive of the NTF, on the line. Paul, um, just just allow me to read the statement first, if we can. I'll ask you to expand on it. Uh, The NTF say we're extremely disappointed with the outcome of the Executive Committee vote on reducing race volume for 2023. From the outset, we have supported the BHA proposal that sought to prioritise the future health of the sport over immediate financial gain. Further to this, we are left questioning a situation where despite the thoroughbred group voting in favour of the BHA proposal, it was not possible to even reach the two-to-one majority needed to justify a discussion at the BHA board. Clearly, this raises significant concerns for us. A statement in two parts there, Paul, and to be honest, the most hard-hitting part is the the latter part. Um, Can we infer from this this statement, Paul, and, and from your understanding, that effectively the BHA weren't willing to support their own proposal? Um, I, it's hard to get away from that suggestion, isn't it, when the, 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 the statements I can make are that the Thoroughbred group voted in favour and a two to one majority in favour would have taken it to the BHA board and, and that wasn't something that was achieved which clearly leaves you incredibly frustrated and disappointed. I understand that a a proper process has to be followed with with all decisions like this that that have to be made. It's safe to say this process hasn't worked at all, right? Um, It's it's a slightly difficult
2: one, isn't it? The the, the process itself has played out in public for the... first time so every year there'd be a discussion around volume uh, which happens behind closed doors and that would then go to the executive committee and, and uh, amongst other things uh, on fixtures and funding and normally you the sport reaches some sort of consensus and it does so behind closed doors the fact that this is played out publicly has probably uh, made made the whole thing slightly more difficult for everyone involved obviously we feel that the process hasn't worked Very well, given that we put our support behind a proposal from the BHA, which seemed to have clear objectives and put the good of the sport at the centre of it, um, and feel like that that's um, that's obviously not ended up becoming um, becoming policy, and uh, and a bit we've been left as the only one supporting it in the end of that end of that process. So, yeah, from our from our perspective. Whether it's a process that hasn't worked or not, I don't know. But the outcome isn't one that we're, um, we're, we're very pleased with, I must admit.
1: Do you feel you've been misled? I feel I feel that there's certainly some inconsistencies around uh, around the BHA's position, which seems
2: to have changed throughout the process. And, and it, would, it would be for the BHA to, to explain the rationale for that mm. um, to us. And, and, and probably to the public as well, I think. And have you
1: had contact with anyone from the BHA, Paul? I have. Uh, so Julie Harrington um, um, contacted me yesterday, uh, and um, uh, and I believe that uh, Joe Samurai smith has spoken to Rose Beckett last night as well. So I think Julie is trying to explain their position, and what, what, what will be clear is that uh, there, there will be... A rationale for this that the PHA won't have taken the position they have for, for no reason. Whether or not I agree with those reasons is um, is a different matter. Mm. Can, can you give us an idea as to those reasons at all? I, I actually think it's better if I don't, and the reason
3: for that is because I I will struggle to explain them
2: because I just I I don't see the logic behind it even slightly. So I suspect it might be better to uh, leave the PHA to explain how they've reached this position and, and why, um, and those can judge whether that's, um, that's a sensible approach to take. Um, I'll just leave it for now that, uh, that, that the NTF don't believe it's a sensible approach to take. And the reason for that is, as we've said all along, and the BHA has said all along, we feel we need to act now. There is a problem in front of us right now that needs to be dealt with, and prioritising other things at this time seems to uh, be the wrong approach to us.
1: Hmm. Well, and, and what can you, what can you do going forward? You know, the, the, the statement. I feel the, the the ending of the statement where you, the NTF say clearly this raises significant concerns for us. There's that that sort of leads me to think that you you want to do something going forward. You want to be active going forward. What what, what can you do to to avoid things like this happening going forward? And you almost you know you, you being left alone supporting something which which has now been shelved. Well, we well, are obviously part of discussions around what the future of the industry might look like. The future governance
3: structure of the industry and have been trying to work constructively with the BHA and, uh, and race courses to, to agree something that, that that perhaps doesn't leave us in this position uh, in future and actually puts in place a more robust um, um, governance approach that, that,
2: that can work for the sport. I suppose the problem with that is, that is that these sorts of situation actually harm that discussion, and they harm that discussion because... As part of the future governance structure, we, we, we are working towards continuing with a tripartite structure. In that tripartite structure, the BHA needs to stand up and be counted.
3: And it feels to us on this occasion, rightly or wrongly, that they, that they haven't shown their ability to do that. Mm. I mean, Paul, you were,
1: you were at the BHA for, for eight years. You, you, were, you were head of racing there, and I know it's difficult to to comment on a on a on the BHA, given that you're 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 with the NTF now. But was that a concern for you for you back then the, the 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 lack of the ability to to stand up and and the the lack of ruling or the or the the power to rule? I think it's always been a challenge for the sport, and that's why the discussion is taking place now about what the future might look like. So. You know, the sport went into into the original the most recent members agreement with good intentions that it would free us up to, to make decisions more effectively that hasn't really happened um, and,
2: and you know, we can only hope that what we put in place now or seek to put in place now will, will enable us to do that it's obviously my observation from being at the BHA I suppose is just I, I do appreciate that it's not a very easy job to do um, and um, we, we at the NTF have made a commitment that we will try to work with the BHA and other stakeholders in a constructive way in everything we do. So it, it doesn't come easy to, to sit here
1: and and criticise, but we've been left so bemused and frustrated by by the process that it's it becomes quite difficult not to. Lee, uh, Paul Johnson there um, cutting a... I mean, a frustrated, downbeat, very annoyed figure. And I think he made his um, position very clear and the reasons to why he feels like that very, very clear. Obviously, the, the, the overriding thing to come from the NTF the statement is it spells out effectively that Julie Harrington, representing the BHA, did not vote for the BHA's proposal. That frankly feels astounding, doesn't it?
0: Of all the possible outcomes of what happened yesterday, I think this is the one that people would not have foreseen. Um, We know that politics can be a strange and extraordinary beast, and we've seen that this week in Westminster, and racing politics can be every bit as perplexing, but this almost takes it to a new level. We know that this, to an extent, was a controversial proposal in the sense that it didn't have unanimity across racing stakeholders. But it's not impossible to get unanimity across racing stakeholders on most things. The ROA, there have been suggestions that the the ROA was not supportive, but to his credit, Charlie Liberton, uh, wearing the thoroughbred group hat, has voted uh, with the majority of the members Of that group. We knew that the the Racecourse Association was split in the sense that the Jockey Club had been very clear in recent weeks that it was supportive of an immediate cut to um, the the race program, Uh, but we also knew that ARC was very heavily against it and very heavily against it. They have been vocal about their opposition uh, to this plan and they produced a paper of their own that tried to lay out why they think it was wrong, but they thought it was wrong a number of years ago when the BHA proposed a cut in the number of races. I just think personally, although they're in, obviously they have come up with reason thinking of their own, I think it's wrong. I think it's as uh, a flawed a view as the one put forward this week by Simon Rubin, one of ARC's joint owners, who was a signatory were, like I said, by major Tory party donors in which they extolled the achievements of Boris Johnson saying his removal would not be forgiven by the British people. I thought that was flawed logic. I think this is flawed logic as well. But the spotlight quite rightly shines on the BHA here because this, as you say, Tom, as Paul Johnson said, was a BHA proposal. The BHA had already made clear in which direction it believed the sport should head. The Racing Post reported last month revealed this BHA proposal to remove those, those 300 races. We laid out that flat races would be snipped out of the programme from January to March and then July and August with cuts across the, the jump season as a whole. In the post, we ran a two-day, four-page special on field sizes this week in which um, BHA, uh, BHA's Richard Raymond, Richard Raymond, excellent operator, and who basically, basically, has been his baby? This is his department. He stressed the warning lights on the dashboard are already flashing, and I'm concerned failure to act will mean the situation worsens in the coming months. So he was absolutely clear in which direction he believed the BHA should be going. At first, at first glance, therefore, Tom, it's not easy to see how this could have happened. We know the voting. We know the RCA voted against if the thoroughbred group voted for, so that's a 1-1 one, one score. The BHA therefore has the deciding vote. That being the case, in those circumstances, for the proposal not to be approved does seem extraordinary. Um, and it does seem, it does paint a picture of a governing body that would appear to be more inclined to act as a referee than an actual governing governing body, and that was certainly, I think, the inference I took from the interview that Nick uh, carried out last week with Joe Sawmer-Smith, the the new BHA chair, who did seem to be a little bit less than animated about about really taking strategy forward themselves and more keen to delegate that responsibility to to racecourses and participants. That I find troubling. I think that what Paul said there in his interview with you, Tom, is reflective of what I believe will be little short of fury within many of the sport's stakeholder groups. I think they will feel the BHA's led them up the garden path, encouraged them to support a position on a subject of huge importance, only to then jump ship first. Now, I don't believe for a second that Julie Harrington would have intentionally kiboshed her own team's plan without some reason. Uh, I would be very surprised if Julie Harrington, uh, who I think has done a lot of good things since she came into the BHA chair, I'd be surprised if she really believes that this was the right thing to do. Perhaps, who knows, perhaps there might have been a threat of legal action uh, made towards the BHA. Um, and perhaps that was an influencing uh, decision uh, by the by the BHA. What, pe- perhaps it's a tactical withdrawal by the BHA. Perhaps they are seeing the longer game. But if it's a tactical withdrawal, why raise the proposal in the first place? To me, it just smacks of weakness in decision and a real lack of direction. All too often, decisions in British racing are kicked into the long grass and it seems to me that something that is vitally important now has been kicked into the long grass. Um, Paul said in his interview there that within the tripartite structure the BHA needs to stand up and be counted. Now we don't know why the BHA hasn't stood up and been counted properly here um, but I do understand and sympathize with Paul's sentiments, and I suspect that Paul is finding it very hard right now to keep a lid on his president, uh, Rafe Beckett, who I imagine is furious, and I would say justifiably so. Um, Within that special report, Tom, that we ran in the Racing Post this week, we spoke to a number of people, including Bill Farnsworth. Uh, the, the greatly respected uh, Chief Executive of Chief Executive Muscle Racecourse, he's had senior positions within the BHA himself. And I thought he laid out the, 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 the BHA's role in this very clearly. He said, there are fewer horses, there needs to be fewer races. Personally, I would like to see the BHA lead on this. Race are conflicted because we all want to make decisions in the interests of our racecourses. The BHA can look at the big picture of British racing and its interests. Now, at first glance, Tom, it does seem to me as though that hasn't properly happened here. I find it utterly perplexing that the BHA, through its chief executive, has not backed a BHA proposal that has been very vocally put forward by the BHA. And whilst I say, I'm sure that Julie Harrington, who I greatly respect, has her reasons for doing this, I think it's going to, if if Paul Johnson, who knows those reasons, doesn't understand them or accept them, I think it might be hard for the rest of us as well. And I would say too, that if I was a senior BHA racing executive, if I was one of those people who'd been involved in advancing this proposal and proposals similar to it, if I was one of those people, I would be feeling exceptionally exasperated. Um, I would be angry and I'd be bemused, and I would think in some cases, I'd be thinking, what's the point? And I just finished Tom, by saying that it it left me thinking two things. One, it left me, I know, did you you, you as well, uh, thinking back to Hamilton, the musical, the Aaron Burr song, In the Room Where It Happens. I would love to have been in the room where it happened yesterday to know what has played out here. But it also made me think of someone very different to to Aaron, but a different politician, a British politician, Geoffrey Howe, who in the House of Commons on November the 1st, 1990, made his resignation speech after quitting Margaret Thatcher's government. And in this analogy, I would compare those BHA senior racing executives to the cricketers, in, or the cricketer in Jeffrey Howe's speech, because he said, it is rather like sending your opening batsman to the crease only for them to find the moment the first balls are bowled that their bats have been broken before the game by the team captain. And I suspect if I was one of those t- people in the BHA who's been responsible for framing this proposal, I would feel a bit like um, my bat had been broken and I would be very disappointed today. And I think it's a disappointing day for British racing.
1: Well, while you've been um, talking about that, I've, I've just received um, something from the, the BHA, from the BHA's head of media, Robin Moundsey. Um, so I'll read it out to the, to the listeners on the pod and, I, and I'll read it out to you as well. This is to go on, on top of the, uh, the statement from the executive committee covered in the Racing Post yesterday evening. Um, It says this, Lee, that the BHA retains the view that it is critical we take steps as a sport to deliver a racing product which is both competitive and compelling. The use of a data-driven race programme which is suitably tailored to the population of horses in training will be central to this. Following Mm -hmm. ongoing discussions with the sports member bodies, we believe the best way to achieve this will be through collaboration on a unified industry strategy rather than making tactical tweaks to the race programme, which have the side effect of causing significant division amongst the sport's various members." Couple more bits. The sports leaders have recently announced that work will now begin on a unified strategy with fixtures and the race programme at its core. Meanwhile, the size of the 2023 race programme will remain under review with the capacity for decisions to be made later in the year based on ongoing industry discussions and our ongoing monitoring of the horse population. That word ongoing um, creeps up a few times there I can see three references to it I I think that from from reading that for the first time Lee um what we can take from that is the BHA wanting to 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 hammer home that that this hasn't been shelved forever and that based upon the the recent statement there wants to be a, a unification process where effectively all ducks can be put into a row and bigger decisions can be made further down the line the problem with that is it doesn't solve the here and now what what do you take from from that additional statement
0: well i think it's a very difficult it's a difficult position now that the the bha have to present and mounting an explicable case for what's happened isn't easy um I just think that saying that you're, you, you feel a data-driven strategic review is the right thing to do. well, clearly it is. But equally, if I have a, a migraine now, I need to take medication immediately. There might be underlying reasons why I have migraines, but I need to take action while I've got the migraine first and foremost. Um, I think the that stressing in the in the statement there that they have sought to avoid division within the industry well i'm afraid there will always be some division within the industry that is why you have a governing body the governing body's role is to look at the differing views presented before it and then decide that we because we are the only true organization that can have um, a non-biased perspective on this that we have to see the bigger picture then we make a decision what I find really frustrating about this particular situation Tom as I say is why the BHA hasn't backed its own proposal at the very least um, had, um, had Judy Harrington either i don't know if she, we don't know if she's abstained or voted against the proposal like, in effect it means the same thing
1: that's that's purely semantics isn't it yeah like, it, it, it means the same all thing, one all the, thing into it and and therefore if you're not supporting it you're against it exactly at the very least it could have gone to
0: the bha board for further discussion to 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 sink this particular proposal now at a time when something needs to be done now and there's been widespread agreement across the sport about that including within the BHA to, 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 to kibosh it now I, again I, I say I, I do find it completely perplexing and enormously disappointing
1: okay well I'll ask it next week Lee there is a rumor yes yes a strong, a strong rumour that there's five days at Royal Ascot starting Tuesday next week. There's a, an international morning um, currently ongoing at, at Newmarket. It's the International Challengers Media Morning, and the Nick Light like Daily Charlotte Greenway is there for us, sending um, some bits over. Before we get into that, Lee, what are you looking forward to at Royal Ascot? Oh,
0: I think, I think it could be a spectacular Royal Ascot, Tom. Um, what I'm really excited about, and this, this links today... The internationals Morning today is it is really a very international Royal Ascot. Um, we have got uh, strong Japanese representation, um, we've got strong American representation and we've got other nations in the mix as well and I think particularly it's great to see the Aussies back and it's particularly great to see the Aussie sprinters back. Um, I'll be one of those at Ascot tomorrow morning uh, where Chris Waller um, is uh, exercising his two-star sprinters, Nature Strip and Home Affairs. Artorius also working there for the Freedmans. I think to see those those outstanding Aussie sprinters really uh, feels like a, a blast from the past. And they, they are top-notch performers, in particular uh, Nature Strip, I think, is a stunning horse. And seeing him take on Golden Pal, this amazing American speedster, in the King's Stand is going to be marvellous. I think, you know, great to kick the meeting off with the best horse in the world by Eid in the Queen Anne stakes. Um, I think that the the, the the all five days have got so many thrilling and fascinating narratives. We've got Stradivarius signing off in what looks a deep gold cup with... With, with, with rivals everywhere up against him. Um, we've got Homer's songs against Inspiral in the Coronation Stakes. Um, we've got Corribus in the St James's Palace Stakes. And we've got a horse who I'm enormously uh, keen to see again, Baybridge in the Prince of Wales Stakes. I thought he won the, Prince of well- the, the uh, Brigadier Gerard, Tom, with the wow factor. And as I've laid out in this, uh, in this pod before and in my racing post writing, I grew up as a, the most enormous fan of, of the Stout stable and to see the Stout team with a Derby winner again in Desert Crown and now this Horse Bay Bridge who could be anything. And he's absolutely the embodiment of all that Sir Michael Stout has done over the years in, in developing middle distance talent with patience and with great effect. To see him in the Prince of Wales, sex as a red-hot favourite is, is, is um, going to be great too.
1: Yeah, I confess it over by eat, no disrespect to him, but Baybridge is the horse I'm most looking forward to seeing. Um, I know we're doing this before before the, the five-day confirmation stage, but he, um, I'm, I'm aware, is due to be confirmed for that. And it is, um, I believe the plan is, all being well, for all I'll take it one step at a time, and to then go to the Coral Eclipse, which he was, was entered for. Interestingly, Desert Crown, Stable Companion, didn't receive an entry for that. And um, I think the suggestion there is that there's, there's no need to race them against each other. I think it'll be interesting to see what trip those uh, horses respectively finish up over at the end of the season. Well, you mentioned the strong international challenge. It's headed to uh, Royal Ascot. Trainer Graham Motion, a saddle five Royal Ascot runners, um, yet to, to have a winner. He came close with 2020 Coronation Stakes second sharing, who's co-owned by this year's challenger, Spenderella's owner, Gainsway Farm. Spenderella's are unbeaten in three appearances so far. And a little earlier on, the assistant trainer to Spenderella, Alice Clapham, spoke to the press in Newmarket.
3: Um, so we started her this year in January. Um, she broke her maiden and then we ran her back in the stake both at Gulfstream, and she won that. And then um, we took her to Keeneland, and she won her grade two there, so she, and she just won three times. Um, when they decided to bring her here, they just decided to just to freshen her up and just get her ready for here, rather than running her once more, because she'd run three pretty good, consistent races. What's her style of racing? Um, she's kind of been more towards the front, like, because she's broken so nicely out the gate. Um, but she's pretty rateable. I think wherever she ends up, she, she's pretty manageable. We William really, will be able to do whatever he likes with her.
1: How does she sort of compare to the filly you bought here a couple of years ago, sharing?
3: Um, well, sharing um, obviously was a little bit more accomplished than she was because she'd won the, the Breeders' Cup t- um, two-year-olds you know, at Santa Anita. So she had a little bit more experience to her than this filly, but she, this filly's done nothing wrong leading up to this so and she's got a great temperament you know which is a good thing for chipping and everything especially these, 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 these younger horses so um it's a little difficult to compare but they're both got the same mentality both very intelligent fillies and very bossy yeah. <laughs> and ground wise the weather forecast looks good but if there was a bit of rain would that worry you when she ran at Keelan, there was a cut in the ground because the two races at uh, Gulfstream had been firm, so we were always a little worried if that came up. But when we ran at Keelan, they had a lot of rain that week, so there was a good cut in the ground. She seemed to handle that really well. So, Fame's last words, I don't think the ground would matter either way. Is she just here for the one race, or could she stay over for anything more? Uh, I believe it's just ask her and then go home. You know, she, there's plenty of races for her later on in the year back in America. What would be the targets later on this year? Do you have any idea? I don't know. That's something owners and Graham would have to know, you know. I think a lot would depend on how she runs here and we'll get her back and then let her tell us when she's kind of ready to go on, you know. You never know how much the chipping and everything takes out mentally.
1: Well, a filly that Spendarella will be taking on at Ascot in the Coronation Stakes is John Gosden's In Spiral. He was at Newmarket this morning speaking to the press about her preparation. He then goes on to talk about Ascot Gold Cup runner Stradivarius.
2: She's coming to herself, taking a long time, but I think we're beginning to see the the filly of last year again. Yeah, so hopefully put in a big performance. I Makes mean, you feel like she might sort of come on
1: again from the run, sort of in terms of well being and stuff, or. Do you think she's
0: there now? No,
2: I think she's, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think we're getting very close to being exactly where we want to yeah. be. So, uh, you know, as long as the next few days go all right, she put in a bowl show. And
0: she was very exciting last year, John, wasn't she? So, you, yeah. you know, you must be itching to sort of get her on. Well, the we
2: have been, but, you know, you just sometimes you have to be patient in this game. They're animals, aren't they? So they don't they don't need us trying to force issues with them. And that's certainly not the way with her. Will you keep her to a mile? At this stage, but I'm sure she'll get a mile and a quarter in time. Yeah. I think she would. It's one thing training an eight-year-old gelding. It's another thing training an eight-year-old full horse. Yeah. But he's happy and well. Look, I'm just hoping the weather holds for him. Yeah. We, we can get to run on something called good ground rather than soft or heavy, which is, isn't his scene at all. When we only going to Goodwood <laughs> last year, you know, you turn up for the first day of Goodwood, you don't expect it to be heavy ground. <laughs> you really don't. Summer racing.
0: And John, when you mentioned train, the difference between training an eight-year-old gelding and an eight-year-old horse, just w- w- so, w- what challenges does that present just for our audience? Well, I
2: think we can answer you by saying testosterone is probably the most dangerous <laughs> drug in the world. That probably answers the question. You know, they're going to start thinking about other things, aren't they? Um, what did Dick Hearn say? Give me a stable of geldings, and I'll kill the bookmakers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Has he sharpened up since you're? Do you think Stradivarius? Yeah, it's a yeah. bit old for him to sharpen up now, <laughs> like the rest of us, I think. <laughs>
2: no, look, he's, he, he runs how he runs. He tends to get there and that's it. He, he's just—he's reached the stage where he knows how to race and he, he doesn't want to be left massive amount to do. On the other hand, if you get there too early, that's not a good idea either. He's just a really old... He's an old pro now. He goes in the ring, he does what he has to do, he comes home. He had bad luck in, in with ground last year and in a couple of tactical issues but he's you know he's still he's still up to running a huge race in the gold cup and uh, as long as the ground isn't soft or heavy you know which at the moment we hopefully won't be and when he goes john you will be sorry to see him go he's been around the place so long where does he rank in in terms of i mean i know it's hard to put into context and compare but of all the great ones you've trained well he's you know obviously he and Abel was with us for till she was six which is you know, she won the King George as a six-year-old. He's now eight, so you don't normally in flat stables have horses around for that long. It's not an easy thing to do. You have to keep them, you have to keep them interested, but at the same time, don't go, don't go rubbing their nose in it at any stage because they'll quickly tell you what to do with it. So, in terms of his regime, would it be much different from when he was a five-year-old? Then you have to mix things up to keep him interested. A l- little bit mixed up, but don't, don't go trying to make anything tougher or harder for him. That does not go down very well at all. But, I mean, it is a remarkable achievement to have him still running at this level. Yeah, no, it's great. Age. Let's you know, he's won the Yorkshire Cup. And let's let hope he puts in a big one. Yeah, you'd have to argue as an eight-year-old, he's he was probably at his prime at five, maybe into six. But at eight, you've got to be yeah. You have to face the fact that uh, yeah, see, it's like the boxer getting back in the ring too late in the career is sometimes a But he's he's up for it at the moment. The plan was always try and run here and try and run at Goodwood. So we're sticking to the plan as long as he's with us, which he is at the moment.
1: Right, your chance to be involved now with a Royal Ascot runner. With my racehorse, you can get involved with Memar, who is a a son of Memas, trained by Michael O'Callaghan. Now, in the... Ownership of my racehorse. Shares start at £128. You can experience racing at the very top level with a horse that has tremendous upside and a huge amount of potential. Memar has group form already and been placed in all of his three lifetime starts. There'll be... Um, lots of um, events publicised on my racehorse social media at Ascot, and there's also a contest to win a Royal Ascot swag bag as well. But most importantly, shares available at £128 for your chance to be involved with a Royal Ascot runner, the two year old son of Memas Memar. Okay, Lee, send us away with a winner and some general positivity, please. It would be lovely. Well absolutely, yeah. We 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 love positivity, Tom. Um and I
0: am positive that uh I have no great conviction that my tick will win today, but I am oh, gonna that's, dec- that's real, that's real <laughs> I, positive. we've got a bit of re- re- realism, Tom. Uh, I am gonna recommend in the four fifty at Newbury. So I've a real good card at Newbury today was listed action uh with the uh the Abingdon Uh, stakes at 3.10 but at 4.50 they've got the Racing TV free for a month handicap over a mile and a half. Rendition a Cheeverly Park Stud Philly, uh, trained by Andrew Balling has her first starts in handicaps at 4.50 at Newbury today and I think she will do better in handicaps than she's done in novice company and I suspect she will have a decent chance in that 4.50 so rendition in the 4.50 at Newbury
1: Lee Motter said, thank you Sir, for putting the "Room Where It Happens" song in my head for the rest of the day. A what a great song it is! Great show, great uh, song. Uh, we'll no doubt chat to you again soon. Thanks for for everyone for listening along today. Hope you've enjoyed it. Nick will be back tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been
0: listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdare's